You are listening to the New Vision Church Podcast, a community to belong, be loved, and believe. Good morning. I want to say thank you to uh, both of you, or all of you, actually. You ministered to me this morning in a big way, and uh, so thank you. Thank you, yes, yeah. And you guys have kept me up all week. <laughs> no, I, I could feel the Lord's love for you, and... Uh, sometimes at one o'clock in the morning and sometimes at two o'clock in the morning. But he's been doing something in my heart this week um, for you. And um, it's kind of interesting how I got here. You know, God works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And he is a powerful God. And uh, one of your church members began to sense God's activity in his life. And God began to use these peculiar but conspicuous circumstances in my life and his, and we started crossing paths. And as we crossed paths, he invited me to your men's breakfast. Now, George and I, George is a pastor. I speak in churches. My wife, Stacy, and I are biblical counselors. Um, so we're in the ministry world. But George and I don't know each other from that. Um, this church member uh, invited me to the men's breakfast one Saturday morning, and so I went with him. I just wanted scrambled eggs and bacon. <laughs> but uh, I came, and, and during, that, um, during that time together, uh, some things began to be spoken about, and I don't have any trouble opening my mouth most of the time. And, and uh, so I did, and your pastor was in there, and I didn't know who he was. He was sitting right next to me. And so um, God has used George in a big way, uh, even this week, uh, to speak to me, and, um, and I'm thankful for how God's connected us and, and, um, and everyone here, too. I'm thankful for you this morning. Um, and so George last week said that Habakkuk wouldn't get talked about again probably for a long time. But he didn't know this. Tuesday, uh, I have a spiritual grandmother a long time ago. She told me about this book called Heinz Feet, High Places. I bought that book Tuesday in a thrift store to bring it to my wife. I hadn't thought about it in 12 years, and I see this book. Wednesday, I downloaded your sermon from last Sunday, and I start watching it, and I went, all right, Lord, what are you telling me about Heinz Feet and High Places? Because it was the verse that you talked about. Um, so there was a few things that... that you talked about last week that really struck home with me. But I wonder what I want to talk to you about this morning. Do you have a picture? Uh, that's okay. That's okay. We have this dog. Um, her name is Sugar. She's a plot hound. And uh, her, last, her name, Plot Hound, is the last name of a teenager that is from Germany. He came over in the 1700s on a ship. He had a brother with him, and the brother died. This teenager was 16 years old, and he had five dogs with him. He brings them to the Smoky Mountain area, and they settle there. And so there's this 16-year-old boy with five dogs, and he bred them into what became the Plot Hound. It's the North Carolina State Dog. And the, what they were bred for is um, they were bred to go after a formidable, aggressive opponent that wants to kill them, and, and I don't blame them. If I had a dog chasing me, I'd want to do the same thing. But um, they are very tenacious, very stubborn, very loving, loyal companions. They're sweet as they can be, but when they're doing what they were bred to do, 
They are fierce. They're like the ninja warriors of the dog world. And um, Sugar, uh, she's a beautiful dog. They come in different colors. She is a buckskin or a blonde color. Her registered name is October Rhodes, two creams, one sugar. And um, her grandmother belongs to a friend of ours. And her grandmother's name is, she's, uh, her name is Sugar. Her, na- her coloring is black with brindle in, uh, throughout. So bloodhounds come in different colors, but that one, her grandmother's name is Suncrest, no cream, no sugar. <laughs> and, um, but Sugar loves me. She's got a dad. And, uh, but I'm in, in a sense her heavenly father. I, um, I'm responsible for her safety. I'm responsible for feeding her. I'm responsible for her training. And uh, Sugar loves me for one thing, and it's food. She doesn't care about me. You know, she comes and, and checks in, and, and it's only when she wants something that she comes to me. And uh, sometimes Sugar, uh, scent hounds, she's a scent hound, so scent hounds put their nose to the ground and they go find stuff. They're always on a mission. They're on their own mission. They're doing their own thing. Um, and you can train them to do some things, but for the most part, they're, they're, it's bred in them. They're going to do what they're going to do. So Sugar, we keep a collar on her neck because there's, a, there's times that she's in danger and she doesn't know that she's in danger and we need to bring her back home. And um, she has a little GPS antenna. We can track her and see where she's going. Isn't that like us? Uh, so what I want to talk to you this morning about is the main message is sin and repentance because that is a message that in our world is not talked about anymore much. I don't know about here, but the churches that we visited, um, it is slowly, repentance is slowly becoming a thing that is fading away. And Paul said this, he said in Colossians, he said, beware lest anyone cheat you, cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So if you go, if you think about this week, we all face certain things. You know, the grave we sang about, um, how God turns everything to good. But have you faced anything this week that was challenging? Maybe a, maybe a boss. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic. Maybe anxiety over something in the past. Well, what Paul was saying was, be careful because the world is going to offer you all, offer you all kinds of advice, but it may not be the right advice. And you'll pick up the phone and you'll call your mom and you'll call your dad, or you'll call your friend or you'll call your brother, and they may not give you the right advice. So I'm going to share a story with you in a minute about how I was receiving the wrong advice. And even well-meaning Christians around me weren't telling me the truth. So let's look at this verse from Luke 6, 46 and 49. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, as we go through this message, I'm not going to have time to talk about this, but as, as we talk about this message, when, 
when I get finished, you may want to process this in your own life. And there's a book back there called The Heart of the Problem. It's a 12-week Bible study. It's five days a week. It will teach you about the process of repentance in your own heart in areas that you don't see or areas that you do, but you just don't know how to deal with it. It'll help you um, walk through the process of repentance and then help you walk in the spirit of Christ facing some very challenging things, just like what I'm about to share. Um, Isn't God good? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, right? And verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So if God saw that we have sin in our hearts as Christians, he knew that we needed a a way that we could return to how we were in the Garden of Eden, right? He created us to be perfect. There wasn't stress and fears and anxiety and tension and anger. There wasn't that there. And so Jesus came and died for us to give us his spirit that we could face anything on this planet because of sin and we could walk in his spirit in right fellowship with him. That's good news. But if you have sin in your heart, it's gonna feel a little convicting. It doesn't feel good to hear that. But if you will embrace it, if you'll embrace it right at that point where he shows it to you and you confess it, ask him for cleansing and ask him to empower you, he will do it but he will resist a heart that doesn't want to change and wants to hold on to that bad advice. He'll leave you there. He left me there, and I'm about to show you how. Luke 6, 46, 49 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Kind of like sugar. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. Who is? Those who what? Hears my words and does them. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and what? Does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. Are you in a crisis this week? Do you feel like you're about to face one? Do you know when one's coming? It's important. You don't know when, we don't, none of us know when a crisis is coming. And so it's very important that when it hits and we face it in life, Jesus told us that these things, John 16, 33 says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, you'll have peace in the world. You will, you will have trouble, right? But be of good cheer. That's a command, not a suggestion. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So when he said that, he promised that we're going to have trouble and we don't know when it's coming. So when you have trouble, how do you respond? Do you freak out? Do you get stressed out and blow up on your spouse? Do you quit your job and try to find another job? Or do you repent in that moment and ask him to fill you? God, forgive me and cleanse me of my attitude here. I'm complaining about this. I'm angry. Would you cleanse this out of me? But if you don't want to call it sin, you don't have to. You can call it what the world calls it, but you'll have to deal with it using the world's methods and the world cannot get rid of sin in your heart. Only Jesus can get rid of it. 
It's powerful to think about that he would want to do that. And just that easy. Some people say, no, this is too simple. My psychologist told me this. I need Jesus and something else. He is enough. He is enough. You are complete in him. So here's a second scripture we'll, we'll look at, and then I'll share the story with you. John, this is a long one. John 14, 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So if we don't keep his commands in how we respond to a crisis or other people, if we don't keep his commands, what are we showing him? We come in here and worship and sing songs and feel good about it, then we go home and go into the workplace or whatever happens, and we respond against his commandments. So what does that show him? You don't love him. He said, if you love me, three times in this passage, he's gonna show you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word helper is counselor. I spoke a minute ago about Stacy and I being biblical counselors. Um, and please come see us at the end of this. We have business cards. We'd love to connect with you. Just shoot us a text. Um, you can go to thinklifechange.com and, and um, find us there as well. But he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. What is truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God except through him whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You will see me. You remember when God said, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know? says, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he says it again, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, it's not a suggestion. Neither let them be afraid. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you with everywhere you, everywhere you go. So what is he saying here? When we accept Christ into our life, where does he live? In our hearts. This is the passage we get that from that he'll give us a helper, the Holy Spirit, that will be with you and in you. So if God lives in you, does he live in you? If you're born again, he lives in you. God lives in you. 
His spirit is peace, right? Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit, I say walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control. So if the God of the universe lives in our hearts and we're stressed out this week and his spirit is peace, then what is the problem? Sin blocks the fruit of the spirit. And you can go get Starbucks. You can look at a mountaintop and watch a sunset. You can go on a date. You can do all kinds of things, get lost in your earbuds, go work out. Those, are all not, those aren't bad things to do. I'm not saying that that's sinful. But if that's what you do to get rid of anger, anxiety, stress, tension, and worry, you will keep it. But if you bring it to Christ, he'll cleanse you. So let me look at this with you. Let's go through something. I was born, uh, my mother was a Christian, and she was a sweet, sweet mom. She took me to church Wednesdays and Sunday mornings, Sunday night. I went to the same school that I went to church at, and she was very involved with me. She was singing, she sang in the choir, and my dad was an abusive, angry, impatient alcoholic. Um, I don't like to use that word, but he was a drunk. That's what scripture calls it. So he did a lot of things that I got to see um, that most kids don't get to see and shouldn't see. And so growing up, all throughout my, my, when I turned 13, I was very rebellious and had some very challenging teenage years. I got shot when I was 16 years old with a 357 Magnum and um, they said I would never use my left hand again. Went through my wrist all the way. Um, my best friend died and I had to be a pallbearer when I was 15. And I didn't, he died of an overdose. And so I've got experience with that. But growing up, I thought, you know what? This life is miserable. When I get married and have kids, we're going to have a peaceful home, a nice house with two nice cars and a clean yard. And, um, and we're not going to live that way. And so I built up this ideal that I wanted in my life. And um, that's what I went after. And um, so that's what we did. And I, I built a brand new house and I bought a Mercedes and a brand new truck. Um, I wasn't involved in church then. I had drifted into the world's ways of thinking. And I let the world cheat me with philosophy and empty deceit. And I followed the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world. And do you know what the wages of sin is? Is that physical death? Not necessarily. It could be financial. It could be your marriage. It could be your job. It could be whatever. So in that marriage, we were married for seven years, and we had a, a newborn. We had a, a son, uh, and then shortly after, three years later, we had a daughter. They were sweet. I coached t-ball, and they had their little, uh, you know, their little Barbie jeeps and things like that out in the front yard, and it was great. She was from a, a wealthy family, and I was from a poor family. So I had to work very hard to keep up that lifestyle. And whenever we would have an argument, we'd go to church. Man, we'd feel good that morning. And then we would go right back into the principles of this world and the traditions of men. We got our feel good for the day and I mean, things are gonna be okay now. And when they weren't, then I would go get baptized again or I would go ask a pastor to pray for me or you know, and just go through the series of things. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. 
So after seven years of being married, I was working out of town in Texas. There's so many facets to this story of things that God did throughout it. And we could talk on the subject of sin, repentance, and biblical counseling and anger and things like that for the next several weeks. We could talk about that. So I'm putting a lot in one little nutshell here. But we were married for seven years. I'm working out of town in Plano, Texas. And uh, she told me that she wanted a divorce. And I didn't want that. I had two kids at home. I wanted to keep it together. I wanted to go to counseling, do whatever we could do. And um, she was adamant that she was getting a divorce. And so she took the kids and she left. So I went back to my job in Plano and started thinking, you know what, I've, I've got to get involved in church again. And I've got to um, get involved with some men. So I joined a men's Bible study and there was about 10 guys, but I, was, I did not want them to know what I was going through, that I was going through a divorce. I wanted them to think that I was a, an upstanding Christian like they were. If you're living with something in your life and it's hurting you and it's painful, don't hide it. The only way that you can deal with sin in your life or a challenging situation is for it to come to the surface. All the great revivals that happen with churches always was because that sin arose and got dealt with. If you suppress it, that's not, that's not repentance. That's not dealing with it. And so I hid it from these guys. Well, I came home from Plano, Texas, and I walk into this brand new house, and there is absolutely nothing in there. No kitchen cabinet knobs, no ceiling fans, no chandeliers, no faucets, you know, nothing in there except my son's bunk bed and my clothes, and that was it. I was devastating. Those men, those 10 men from the Bible study that I had joined were going to be there in an hour. I drove all the way home from Plano, Texas, and walked into that, and now these church guys that I was hiding it from it was going to be revealed to them. They were going to say, you invited us to a house that had nothing in it. So I had to tell them what I was going through. And they were, we sat down on the carpet and had the Bible study. They were very supportive. But I tried to stop the divorce. And that wasn't going anywhere. And it went through. And we signed the papers. And um, what I found out 60 days after our divorce was final was that she had been seeing somebody the whole time. And he was a lawyer. And 60 days after our divorce was final, she said, I'm getting remarried. And it was the lawyer that helped her with her divorce. Did I have a right to hate them? Or be angry at them? If you love me, keep my commandments. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you to love your enemies and do good to them and pray for them and bless them. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that your boss isn't challenging or your husband. They just don't make you what you are. They reveal what you are. Jesus said, it's not the things on the outside of you that defile you, it comes from within. Let me put it like this. This is what God taught me in this situation. You can face this in the flesh or you can face it in my spirit, but you can't do both. Amen. But God's spirit in us 
we're not even aware that it's not even there. This just becomes normal living for us. But Jesus said, my sheep know me, they hear my voice and they follow me and they won't turn to the voice of a stranger. But we don't even hear his voice. And it's happening in churches all over. And so for New Vision and the, the heartbeat of your pastor, man, he means so much to me when he teaches. And the heartbeat of your pastor and where you are going, God can take one person Think about how many disciples there were. How many? How many people have they affected? Millions. God can take hearts that are surrendered and humble and do massive things with them. Incredible, great and mighty things with them. John, in the book of Revelation, all right, I may have that address wrong. I'll do that, so bear with me. But... John said that Jesus did so many things that if the books were written about the things that Jesus did, the whole world couldn't contain it. And he's still doing that stuff today. But you won't recognize it with an unrepentant heart. You'll learn to manage sin and you'll get a decent level of Christianity, but it won't be deep. It'll be about this deep. So... What was my response to that news about the lawyer? I hated their guts. I showed them how much I hated them because in Alabama, that's what we do. <laughs> it's not funny, don't laugh. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we do. We go to the swamp in the hunting boat. Um, I did, I hated them and I showed them how much I hated them. And I had believers around me telling me, oh, you have a right to feel that way. A Christian counselor. We're biblical counselors. There's a difference. A Christian counselor told me it was okay to feel the things that I was feeling. The Bible either calls things a work of the flesh or a work of the spirit. And this Christian counselor who ended up losing their job, they were a Christian using secular methods of counseling. That happens. They were a Christian using a science that says there is no God to help me. Be careful where you get your advice. He looked great and he was very friendly and he made me feel good. Let's go back to uh, John 14 again. It's the, it's the last verse on that passage. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you not as the world gives. So you can go to these sources or you can start saying to yourself, you can start defining it as, this is, a, this is a, uh, something within my body that's going on. Let me tell you, if your ex-wife marries her divorce attorney, you can get a chemical imbalance real quick if you have a sinful attitude. And I was full of anger and anxiety and showing them how much I hated them, I let them know it. And what it did was it cost me the ability to see my kids for a whole year. I took them to court to get custody of my children and I fought them and I let them know how unjust that was. Let me tell you, righteous indignation has never done anything good for me. I don't have the capacity to have righteous indignation towards that and it not become something sinful. All throughout the Old Testament, 
It teaches us in the Old Testament, do not walk with an angry man lest you learn his ways. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Jesus, or, uh, Paul said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go, go down on your wrath. He was saying the deadline to get rid of your anger is sundown. He was not commanding you to be angry. And in Ephesians 4, 31, 32, he says, let all of it be put away from you. But how do we do that facing such a hard situation in the power of Jesus Christ who did the same thing for you when you were an enemy of his? He forgave your sin and he died for you. They mocked him, spit on him. They told him he was demon possessed and a drunk, but he did it anyway. He loved them anyway. He loved us anyway. So in, in fighting them, she kept my kids from me. And a long period of time went by, and I went out to my mailbox, and I went to check my mail, and I'm standing. Have you ever been in the middle of something, and it just crashes down on you? It just gets too heavy. God, I don't, I don't want this anymore. And I said, God, I'll do anything you tell me to do if you'll just make this stop. Anything you tell me to do. And this is what my spirit told me. Go ask them to forgive you for the hatred that you've shown them. You think I just said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go do that. <laughs> no, I didn't. I resisted it. And then I put in a CD from Charles Stanley and it said, love your enemies, do good to them, pray for them and bless them. I drove by a church sign, love your enemies, do good to them, pray. A friend came up, love your enemies, do good. I'm like, Lord, okay, I get it. So I called them. I called them and I said, can I talk to you for a minute? Now I'm in a court case with them, thousands of dollars. And I have the, the meanest bulldog attorney in Mobile, Alabama. And have thousands of dollars in this court case. And I'm thinking about going to them and saying, I'm sorry. You know, Jesus said that if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. And if you rationalize, I've got thousands of dollars in this. I'm invested in this. I'm 80 years old and I've fought this way for 80 years. If I, if I leave this job because it doesn't glorify God, it's gonna cost me. Jesus said, lose it and you will find your life. So I finally made the call with much rebellion in between. And I said, I'm sorry that I've treated you with so much hatred. Could we build a friendship? And she started crying. Now for two years, I lived with an anxiety that I couldn't sleep at night. And I took pills to focus in the daytime. And I took pills so that I wouldn't be depressed. It didn't do me any good. It didn't make me who I really was, and it certainly didn't make me feel the spirit of Christ in me or powerful or anything. It numbed me. And she began to cry, and she said, I've treated you worse than I've treated anybody in my life. And she said, anything I took out of that house, you can have it back. And I said, I don't want any of that. I just want to be friends and raise our kids as godly as we can in two different houses. And I said, the other thing is I haven't seen my babies in a year. The ones I wanted to invest in, 
the ones I wanted to coach and be at every little thing throughout the night when they went to bed and pray with them. And, you know, I wanted them to be my kids. I said, I haven't seen them in a year and I want to see them. She said, come get them today. So when I, <clears throat> it was powerful. I could have stayed stressed out, anxious, tense, worried, depressed, frustrated, all kinds of stuff until I was 65 years old thinking about that thing that happened in the past, not letting it go. God would have let me have it. All we, like sheep, have turned astray, each has gone to his own way. That's how we are. And he would have let me go that way. I was born again when I did this. So I walked up to their door and I rang their doorbell and I noticed this freedom in me that I could not understand. A love in me and a forgiveness in me and my knees were not knocking together like they did when I used to talk to her on the phone before the year that she kept my kids from me. I didn't have that. I had peace. Incredible peace. A peace that a human cannot understand. And so I went in and I saw my rugs and my refrigerator. I went and got a bottle of water out of it. Uh, <laughs> I saw the light fixtures and stuff in there and I didn't have any junk in me, not nothing but the love of God for my enemy. And it was real. I didn't have to manufacture that. You ever do that? You ever get in a fight with somebody before church and you come in here and you manufacture what a Christian looks like? That's miserable and frustrating. I had the real thing in me and what was really in me was really on the outside too. So... I went in there and I took my kids and I said this, that this was in 2005 and that day I said, God, I want to be a biblical counselor using nothing but your word to help people see what you did for me today and what you can do for them in the middle of something so crazy. Who, who does that happen to? That's not the typical story. So if, it, if look at the Bible and all the amazing ways that God showed up in the middle of adversity. Do you think your boss is trouble for God or your husband's trouble for God? But you have to play according to the rules. Paul said, if you're going to run the race, you've got to do it according to the rules, right? So repentance for a believer is not something that just happens the day that you get saved. It is a daily thing. And when you commit a sin, you don't lose your salvation, but you do need to repent and you need to be good at it. So what happens? What does repentance look like? God, I am wrong here. Let's think about my story. God, I'm wrong. I don't like what's happened. But it happened anyway. I couldn't control it. So wouldn't you rather respond in a Christ-like way in his power than in your flesh all stressed out? It's not easy, but if you do, you will see him Reach out and grab a hold of your situation and you and do something like we sing about, something beautiful. So I went over there and, and um, it, said, it looks like repentance looks like this. God, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. According to your standards, see, you're gonna answer for your sin, not theirs. God, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? But some of you stop right there. Lord, thank you for this Big Mac and forgive me of my sins. 
But when you ask him to forgive you, do you really want to change? Is it in that moment where you, you know that something's not right in your heart as a believer? And do you really want to change? Because when you go to him and you ask him to forgive you, he knows whether you truly want to change or not. And repentance is something that he grants to you. And the cleansing of sin is something he grants to you. For without him, we can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Grace and peace and joy and forgiveness and repentance comes from him. It is a gift. It is supernatural. We forget that. And we follow the advice and traditions of men. It's dangerous. But God is so good. He's so good. And so what God did when I prayed that, you say this, you don't stop at forgiveness. God, would you forgive me? You go the next step and you say, God, would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you erase it off of your book? How far does he cast it? How white does he make it? When you're really ready to change, when you're really ready to change, he'll say yes. And then he'll empower you by his divine power. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness and anything that you face. He has enough for you to face it with. He is not confused about your situation at all. So you say, God, would you cleanse me? But then you don't just become counterfeit as a Christian. You become the real thing by asking him by his power, his spirit, his Holy Spirit that lives in you. You ask him to empower you to love when you really don't want to, it goes against your nature. So when I left their house that day with my children, I was overjoyed at what God did. I was so thankful, I felt like I walked right out of that grave. And I was free. I was free. And then something else happened. God connected me with Dr. Kerry Skinner at Think Life Change. He connected me with him. He was a pastor. I started visiting a church. And guess what he does? He trains people in biblical counseling. Lay members of church, everyday housewives, doctors, secretaries. He trains people to be biblical counselors and he trains churches on how to do that in their church with this same message. God connected us just like he connected me with the church member and Pastor George here. He, it's amazing to get to stand here this morning. The way that that developed was just a God thing. But he connected me with him, and, and as we met, he said, what are you going to college for? And I said, psychology, but I don't want to do that. I want to use the Bible. And he said, well, did you know I just opened a counseling center across the street? It's brand new from this church. Would you like to get involved in that? And I said, absolutely. I just prayed that. So he began to train me through that book back there, the Heart of the Problem workbook. And what God did in my life was amazing. I started feeling this desire to go into full-time ministry. And so I, I have flown around and spoken churches across the United States and things like that. But during that time, you know what happened? My ex-wife called me and she said, we've gotten into a fight. I kicked him out of the house. Now, what does my flesh want to do? The grass wasn't greener on the other side, was it? But God said, I can't use you like that. 
You help all kinds of other families stay together. Help this one too. And I said, well, how can I help? She said, come over, I want to tell you the details. I don't want you to find out from the kids. Could you come over? And I got over there and it was bad. So at the end of our talk, I said, could I pray with you? And she said, yeah. And so I prayed for her and for him. And as I was walking away, walking down the steps from her house, I looked back, I remember it like clear as a bell. I looked back at her and I said, hey, he's a lawyer and I don't think that they have many friends. And I know that he doesn't have, I said it, it's honest. I said, uh, maybe it was just to myself. But um, I said, he doesn't have any family here. Where's he gonna stay? And she said, I don't know. I don't care what happens to him. But what had happened was they lost all of their money and got into a massive fight. They did not have a dime, no credit cards, a lawyer in a broke situation, broken situation. And she said, uh, I don't care what happens to him. I said, can I call him? And she said, if you want to, you're crazy, but go ahead. And I said, um, okay, so I called him up and I said, hey, I, you don't have any family here and I, you, I'm sure you don't, do you have anywhere to stay? Is anybody encouraging you? And he said, man, I've made a mess. I'm sorry I've done this to your kids and I do not know how to fix this situation. And he said, I'm gonna sleep at the law firm tonight. And I said, do you have a shower? said, no. Do you have money for a hotel? No. I said, why don't you stay in my guest room and I'll see if, I'll help, if I can help you keep your family together. He came and he stayed with me in my guest room for a month and he slept in the bed that he left me with when he took my family. <laughs> can God do that? What's impossible for God? Nothing's going to happen if you don't repent in your heart. You might see his mercy. And you might see some good things, but it won't be as powerful as it could have been. And man, that was powerful. And he went back home. They're still married now. That was years ago. What, 15 years ago? It set me free. Forgiveness doesn't let them off the hook. It lets you off the hook. It lets your anger fade away and the love of God. You might be angry and you might be able to force your opinion and your justice and all of that on your situation, but what could the love of God do? Um, what God showed me was Matthew six twelve. 14 and 15. This is how you can take his truth and apply it to your life. Don't rationalize your obedience. Now, you might use some wisdom and some things like a, if you're getting abused at home, get away from that. But allow the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and love and joy and peace while you're facing something. It's possible. Stop gossiping to your friends as long as I gossiped to my mom and my dad and my Christian counselor, I wasn't getting anywhere. But when I did things God's way, Jesus said this, if you abide in my word, then 
you'll be my disciple. And then you'll know the truth. And then you'll be free. It's conditional. So in Matthew um, 6, 12, and 14 and 15, our Father who art in heaven, go ahead and put 12 up there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the model prayer. This is how we should pray. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive me like I'm forgiving other people. That's what that means. How many of us would be willing to pray that? God, forgive me like I'm forgiving that lawyer. God, forgive me like I'm forgiving my sister. Again, it's not the things on the outside of you. The fruit of the Spirit is between you and the Lord and nobody can take it from you. No situation can take it from you. Think about Paul. He wrote 13 letters to the New Testament and he was content. And he wrote letters of encouragement. And then let's go to uh, Matthew 14 and 15. See, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, well, I thought my, I thought my sins were forgiven past, present, and future. They are. But you're not going to sense a deep fellowship with God while you have sin in your heart. So, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you, your heavenly Father forgive yours. So when, when God takes and cleanses your heart of anger and unforgiveness, anxiety and worry. When the God does that, how clean are you? Totally clean, just like in my story. But you, if you call your anxiety or your tension or your anger something other than what it really is, or you start to define it based on your circumstances, or I'm only human, then you can have that Messiah if you want it. But that's not the right Messiah to follow. We must die. If anyone wants to come after me, he must die and take up his cross and follow me. And it's not easy. And Jesus never promised that it would be. But he would give you enough to face it, the peace to face it. So you may be dealing, I'm gonna pray and the worship team's gonna come. And you may be dealing with something in your heart that you wanna ask God to cleanse you and forgive you. Please come see us afterwards. But what I wanna ask, this is for believers in here that are wrestling with something. Come and get it right with the Lord. Let the rest of the church see God's activity in your own heart or stay in your seat. But whatever you do, please ask him to cleanse you and empower you and ask him to be the God of your situation and ask God to bring about change and ask Christ to be real in it. And he will if you repent. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so unnatural at facing the sin in our hearts. It's so natural for us to go our own way. Lord, we do not like to be told that we're wrong and we wanna be told that we're right and we wanna be affirmed in that. Lord, we know that when we do that, that we resist what you're trying to tell us and that your discipline is good and that it works about the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. So God, would you do a work in our hearts and reassure us with the encouragement and the grace and the mercy that only you can give. And if there's people in here right now tonight or this morning, Lord, that are dealing with things in their heart that they don't understand, we know that you meet us right where we are and you wash our feet. 
and you love us. You loved us despite our sin and you gave your life to fill us with yours. And we've lost sight of an understanding of what that means to truly be walking in your spirit in our days throughout the week. So would you, for those that wanna resist conviction in here today, would you help them embrace it and see that the answer's just right there? The answer is simple. So God, would you do a work in our hearts this morning? We thank you, Jesus, for the great gift of repentance and your Holy Spirit that you've given us to face this life. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.